Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live once again from our studios right here in Central Florida. Good to have you with us uh, this morning on a day that the Lord has made and given us the opportunity to rejoice and to be glad in it. Folks, it's good to be here if you're joining us for the very first time. This is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, you'll see the website flashed across the screen if you're watching this live. Otherwise, it is www.biggrace.com. That's www.biggrace.com. I've been asked several times, people say, well, where did you come up with that web address from, Big Grace? Well, actually, it's derived when we really started launching out and expanding Raven Ministries International. We, we lived there in, in the city of New Orleans. And one of the nicknames for New Orleans is the Big Easy. And one day in prayer, the Lord was just speaking to me, you know, what it, it, it is, it, that, uh, it became a big place that was real easy to go to hell from. And, you know, but I said, God, you know, I want it to be a place of big grace, a place of big divine influence upon the heart and a big reflection in the life of people. And so I, I just checked it one day and I said, hey, is that available? And so I click, click, click. I found big grace. And I said, you know what? We want, to, we want our ministry to be about big grace, about a big influence of God, a big reflection in our life, a, a big dependence upon him through faith. And so that's where that came from. If you've ever wondered where that came from or if you're watching, you're wondering, what's this raven about? Raven seems so dark. Raven's another one of those it's an acronym for Restoring a Vision and Evangelizing Nations. A lot of that information you'll get when you go to our website. But go check it out sometime and you'll find out uh, a lot about the ministry and what we do, not just here in Florida, but literally all across the United States and growing into eastern Canada and elsewhere as well. So good to have you here once again. We are in the midst of a, an expository teaching on the book of Romans and we're, we're rapidly advancing towards the end of this book. And, and it's kind of scary. You know, you kind of get where you and kind of enjoy that, that, that season that God is doing in particular thing but we're in the 14th chapter if you've not been with us in the past do not fear uh, all of these classes are made available to you in mp3 format free of charge by going to that same website biggrace.com and clicking on raven institute and it'll take you to our, our site where actually there's an embedded little personal it's like your own personal electronic ipod right there on the screen and we'll have these uh, classes on there in their entirety i believe we've got 170 of them we've got about 10 more we need to add to it and uh, so we'll add the others, and they'll be there. Uh, everyone's about an hour-long class, as well as uh, we'll begin to add other uh, messages from uh, other team leaders and ones that are doing the teaching. All those will be on that same uh, player there, so you can go and download those things absolutely free. Like I said, there's no copyright on that. Take it, use it any way you uh, you can. Uh, make you a frisbee out of it. No, not really. But take it, use it as devotional time. It's a good thing for kind of a catalyst to get you into the Word. And I think you'll really be built up and challenged just as we are. Free is good, says Deb. So once again, good to have you here today. And um, uh, just believe God's going to really show us some, some neat things in His Word, some challenging thing as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask for His blessing on this time of teaching. And, uh, and fellowship with one another and communion in the Word of God. You know, it tells us, and we, we've been quoting this a lot because really this is where we want to stand, is Acts 2.42 and, and 43, is that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. Folks, that's what we're given. This is the doctrine that was given to us uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the Theonustos, by Paul the Apostle. And so we're studying the, the doctrines of the truths that he gave us in this Word so that we can be built upon that. And so we're continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine 
and in fellowship. That's what we're doing right here. We're, we're together. You know, we got people fellowshipping all across the uh, the world on a, on a daily basis, and in breaking bread, sharing what we have. What we have to, to share with you is what God's invested in us. An instant in prayer. We're going to pray together, and in believing that the fear of the Lord will come, and that God will uh, will bring miracles uh, into our lives as well. So we want to walk in the fulfillment of what it tells us to do right there in Acts. 2, 42, and 43, and believe that God's going to do something tremendous in our lives. So, Father, we come to you this day in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we want to be steadfast in the Apostles' doctrine, Lord God. And we know that, 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 that the only way we can get that, Lord God, is to, to search the Scriptures out, Lord Jesus. Father, we want to have such a dependence, Lord God, upon the Spirit of God and upon the Word of God. Father, we don't want our dependence, Lord God, to be experiential Christianity, Lord God, because we know, I know, Lord God, that I can be fooled, I can be distracted, Lord God, by my experiences, Lord God. I can be uh, moved, Lord God, by things that I feel or things that I see, Lord God, or my own traditions or whatever else. But, Lord God, I want to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, that unchanging Word, Lord God, that, 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 that Word, Lord God, that will stand the test of time, Lord God, that Word that is unchanging, that Word, Lord God, when heaven and earth passes away, that that Word will remain the same. And so, Father, we want, Lord God, to have such a heart and a desperation, and, Father, literally an insatiable thirst, Lord God, to drink, Lord God, of that water that you've given us and that Word that comes as a, as a regeneration into our lives. So, Father, we're asking you to come this day, Lord God, and wash us, wash our our minds, wash our thoughts, uh, wash our concerns with this word, Lord God. Let that word, Father, which is the, the birthplace of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our ears would spiritually be unstopped. That, Father, when you speak to us, Lord God, we would hear your voice, Lord God. Father, as it speaks, Lord God, in, in harmony with the word of God. So, Father, be here with us as we study that word of God. And, Father, even with our fellowship together. Father, uh, we, we, we love you and we love one another because the word says love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor and our brothers Lord, and sisters as ourselves. And so, Father, I just, I just declare my love and devotion to my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God. Father, they're not just merely a name on a screen. They're not just merely someone in a... Father, that is somebody that you died for, Lord God. And, Father, I just, Lord God, express my devotion, Lord God, and my love for them in this time of fellowship in the name of Jesus. Father, they're, they're, they're a strength to me, Lord God, just as I hope that I'm a, I'm a strength to them, Lord God. I need them just as they need me, Lord God. We are, uh, we are one body, Lord God, walking in harmony, Lord God, in strength, Lord God, with one desire, and that's to be well-pleasing unto you, Lord Jesus. And in breaking bread, Lord God, we want to share and give, Father, of that which you've given unto us. Father, I, I pray that, 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 that the understanding, Lord God, is as limited as it may be that you've given me, Lord God, that today that I can share my table, Lord God, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that there might be meat for them to eat, Lord God, from your word. And we're asking, Lord God, that you would cause, Lord God, the fear of the Lord to come upon us, Lord God, because we want to therefore know the terror of the Lord, that we might persuade men. We want to know, Lord God, the hugeness of who you are, Lord God. We want to know that weighty presence, Lord God, that power, Lord God, that changes and transforms hearts and lives, Lord God, that we might see, Lord God, many miracles, Lord God, done at the hands of the apostles in the name of Jesus. Lord God, so we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to seek you, Lord God, and to know you, to know your word in a more intimate way in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we pray for those that have been sick in body. And we thank you, Lord God, that the provision, Lord God, for healing was provided upon the cross, Lord God. Father, there's nothing that we can do to, to conjure it up. There's nothing that we could do to warrant it, Lord God. But, but Father, it comes, Lord God, through faith. 
And Father, we're asking that you would just stir up faith in our hearts and lives. Lord God, those that have been sick, Lord God, those that have been suffering, Lord God, with infirmities, we ask in the name of Jesus that right now, Lord God, that Father, even as, as, as we've seen, God, you move on, on uh, Pastor George's life, Lord God, even as, as we've seen you, Lord God, touch others, Lord God, Ronnie Tomlinson, this testimony of, of another that had a stroke, and he's back to work, Lord God, and, and they said that he had blood clots in his legs and all these things, they can't find a thing, Lord God. Father, we're seeing you do miracles already, and Father, we just want to, to walk in faith, Lord, Lord God, that it's your good pleasure, Lord God, to give us those things pertaining to the kingdom. We know that, that healing and restoration, Lord God, are part of the kingdom, Lord God. So, Father, we thank you for the state. Let's ask you to bless this time. Father, search our hearts, Lord God. Father, we want, Father, to be, we want you to comb through us on a daily basis, Lord God. Father, every thought, every attitude, Lord God, every motivation, we want you to comb through us, Lord God, because we want everything that comes out of our life, Lord God, Father, to represent your righteousness that has come upon us, Lord God, because of your great grace and your great mercy. Not because of our own works, not because of our own deeds, our own efforts, Lord God. All those things are like filthy rags before you. But Lord God, because of our willingness, Lord God, to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, and to cry out to you, Lord God, in repentance and a heart, Lord God, to lay down, Lord God, every sin, everything that would so easily beset us, Lord God, and grab a hold of Jesus, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen, 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 and Amen. Once again, good to have everyone with us today for another installment of the Raven Institute. If you're just now uh, joining in. Hey, good to see the Green Machine, David Green, coming to us from Amarillo, Texas. If you guys don't know, most of you guys don't know David Green. David is a good brother there. He's part of Victory Church, David Brown's church right there in, uh, I think it's 5,000 Arden. Let me see how my addresses are good. 5,000, I think, or something like that, Arden Road there in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, does a lot of work with, uh, I met him through our friend, uh, Brother Max Love. And uh, the Green Machine, David Green's a good brother, loves Jesus, a soul winner, uh, called to ministry, and a precious brother. Brother, we just bless you in the name of Jesus. Good to have you. I sure wish you were going to be with me in New York. I think I met him the first time in New York City out in the streets. He came with uh, Brother Max Love and, and met Kayla and I out there to do some uh, outreach. And be nice to have you. We're leaving the 22nd through the 26th. Good to have you over Memorial Weekend. Uh, to be with us. Good, good, good brother there. Anyway, good to have everyone here today and to be a part of this. Good to see uh, mom and dad. That's my mom and dad also right there in Amarillo, Texas. Good to have you guys here with us and all you other Jesus-loving crazies from all over the United States and Canada and elsewhere as well. Good to have everyone here today. Uh, folks, we're in the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. What is interesting, to, I guess to me, about uh, Romans chapter 14 and these 23 verses that, that comprise it, is because the content of, of, of its message, you know, it's not, a, it's not a chapter that you'll really, probably with the exception of probably the 17th verse and the 23rd verses, that you'll hear people even quote from. I mean, if, when, you, when you look at the 17th, 23rd verses, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll say, oh, I've heard that before. But as, as a whole, it's, it's probably not uh, a chapter. You know, you're, you're always hearing the first chapter. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to all that believe, you know. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, to justify lives by faith. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. You know, we, we know all these. The Romans 3.23s and, the, you know, the, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, you know, we know Romans eight one, eight two. We know we know those things, and so we we can draw from them. But when you come to the fourteenth chapter, you, you don't hear a whole lot of people quoting from that a lot. And like I said, you'll look at the seventeenth to twenty third chapter verses in your scripture, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But this chapter really, it's it's really, I, I guess I'd call it tantamount to some of the most beloved and powerful and, and often quoted passages of scripture because what it does, it provides this basic framework on which really all the great doctrinal truths need to be tightly fastened. 
And so we can have all these truths, but there's got to be something that they're fastened to to, to, to make them profitable in our hands. See, folks, I can, I can take a, a bucket of bolts and throw them in my driveway and all these pieces, but unless they're fastened together by something, I still don't have a vehicle. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a car. And so really what 14 does for me on a personal level, and I believe for anybody that would study the, the entirety of the book of Romans, it, it starts. it's like a magnet. It starts pulling all these pieces together and says, okay, I've given you these great truths. I've given you these, these things to consider and here's what's going to hold those things the love the patience the understanding the self-denial all of those things are going to come together in this framework they're going to make us all more effective in seeing the world changed for the kingdom of god folks isn't that our goal our goal is not to uh, obtain the accolades of men or to to obtain position or to 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 have our great name put up on a on on a great billboard or something Our, our goal is to bring people into the kingdom and so the 14th chapter is saying okay guys i've given you i've given you these 13 preceding chapters and now what i'm going to do is i'm going to show you how to become the most effective in those truths Folks, that's what I want. I want to become effective. I, I know the stuff. You know, I do. I've been around the gospel for years and years. and I can quote it. I can say it. But I want to be effective in, in what I know and what God has entrusted me uh, through His grace and His mercy. And so, folks, when our passion and our diligence uh, for the Word of God are coupled with these things that He's sharing with us, that love, that patience, that understanding, that self-denial, it, it, what it does, then there becomes a, a, a biblical balance and a wisdom that really allows the, the flow of God's Spirit to, to to move readily in our hearts and lives. And so, verse 14, excuse me, yeah, verse 14 of chapter 14, Romans 14, 14, is what we're going to be looking at to, to open this morning. And here's what, he, here's what Paul the Apostle said. He said, I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Now, folks, if I'm going to know something, if I'm going to be persuaded, who I want to know and be persuaded is, is by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him... It is unclean. Now, I don't hear a lot of people walking around quoting that. They don't walk up and say, Sister, i got a word for you. You know, I know and I'm persuaded of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that, is, that esteemeth anything to be unclean, for him it's unclean. You know, pray, chew on that and see what God gives you. You're, you're not hearing it. But I'm hoping that as I say this today, that you're going to have something to chew on from that. And so when he says a phrase like, you know, I know and I'm persuaded, basically that phrase in the Greek, he's, he's saying, I am absolutely and positively sure of this thing. And so that's what he's telling us. He said, you can be absolute and positively true that I'm going to speak to you out of the knowledge of the Word of God on this particular subject that I'm saying. And so Paul really, he uses a, a strong and a very deliberate language here. And he begins to make this point. And, and I, make, I think he wants to make sure that the audience understands that his position is really not one that's left up to debate. Uh, nor is he he's still trying to work out the details. What he's doing, he's speaking authoritatively from the office of the apostle and is making a statement of declared truth. And so I want to pay attention to that. When I see things like this in the Scripture, I'm, I'm, I'm looking and I'm saying, okay, here's an apostle called of God. Here's one that is a servant, the doulos of the Most High. Here's one that, that, that received that, 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 that theonustos, that God breathed. And here he is speaking this, and he's saying, I know and I am persuaded of the Lord. I have absolute and positive knowledge of what I'm about to tell you. You hear what I'm saying? Other times, you can see it in, in Paul's Corinthian letter. He's saying, listen, here's what I believe. Here's what God's allowing me to speak. I'm not saying that this is, behold, thus saith the Lord, but I'm telling you, this is what I feel strongly about. This isn't one of those cases. This is one of those times when he's tell, telling you, listen, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. This isn't my opinion. This isn't something that you can take or leave. This is something you need to listen to. And so, what is the important statement that he's making right here? You may say to yourself, well, well, that's great that he's, he's making an important statement. It's very positive and, and he's knowledgeable about it. But what is he saying? 
Look what he says. He said, I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself. Underline that in your scripture. Highlight it if that's what you do. Pencil in. He is saying that I want you to know something. There is nothing unclean of itself. Folks, if there was ever a time that that was important, it is right now. It really is. And you'll see it throughout the New Testament. You'll see it throughout the Word of God in a whole. But you'll see a lot of these things happening right there. What that means is, within the historical context of what he's talking about, is that there's nothing unclean or unfit or unholy in the ritualistic or ceremonial fashion of things. That's what he's making the point of. And the word unclean here is not a word used in the sense of immorality. You know, a lot of times we think of that thing which is unclean. Touch not the unclean thing. He, he's not talking about immorality here. So when he's saying there's nothing unclean of itself, he, he's not talking. Somebody said, well, you know what, I, I love this girl and so I'm going to have sex with her. That's not what he's talking about. That's immorality. What he's talking about is things that are, that are more used for, for ceremonial purposes. Things that, 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 that are part of our traditions. It, it had to do with really what he's talking about is religious traditions and, and personal scruples or personal opinions in regards to, to, to eating certain animal flesh or holding a, a vegetarian diet and, and keeping one day over another in regards to the Sabbath. And so what Paul said, listen folks, I want to bring you to a place. And what he's saying is that, that, that there's many people who take something and make something of it that God never intended it to be. And he's saying, listen, I want you to be careful not to do that. I'm telling you, I've got knowledge. Don't make it something that's not intended for it to be. And so when he says not of itself, it means that anything that was created by God does not carry with it some type of inherent type of connotation of evil in itself. But that anything can be misused and thus be considered sin in immorality. And so, for instance, you know, corn is great. Anybody like corn? You know, here in the south, we like corn. You know, you go up to the north, you see corn fields. You know, you can have corn on the cob. You can have cream corn. You can have, you can grind it into meal and make you some corn bread. I like popped corn. But you know what? Paul can, uh, corn can also be rendered into a very strong drink. Corn alcohol. It can You make alcohol out of corn. And so what he's saying is, is, you know what? You can eat you a piece of corn on the cob. There's nothing evil of itself. Now, I can take that and I can make it and render it into something else and make it something evil. But does that make, because somebody drinks corn alcohol, does that make corn unclean? No, it doesn't. What it makes is corn is what somebody else does with that corn makes it immoral or makes it moral depending on how it's used. And so what Paul's trying to say is, listen, don't just say because something's this or something's that because it's, it's evil or unclean. He's saying, listen, a lot of that stuff depends on how you're using it. You know, people would say, I remember back in the, the 80s when you, Christian music, you get, begin to get a lot of uh, quote-unquote rock and roll music. Now, people would say, listen, rock, Christian rock is, uh, is evil. Uh, and you know why many times it's it and, and I heard the argument. Well, because rock and roll is a sexual connotation. Well, what if I don't call it rock and roll? Is it okay? And so what's evil, what I call it or what it is? Well, it's, it's rock and roll. Well, what makes it rock and roll? Well, because it's got the same beat as rock and roll. Well, your country gospel has the same beat as honky-tonk music. You see what I'm saying? And so what happened, I remember these great debates on this stuff. Well, it's Christian rock and you know, rock and roll, that's, that, that, that has the connotations of, 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 of some type of sexual thing that they brought out in the, the a term they used in the 50s. And so if it's Christian rock and roll, it's evil. Well, if you listen to the lyrics, if you listen to what it says, well, no, because it's evil, it doesn't matter. Folks, well, Paul the Apostle says, don't get caught up in that mess. Don't be thinking something in and of itself. We need to be discerning. I'll give you an example. Back years ago, probably in the early to mid-1970s, 
There was a couple. Their name was Frank and Ida Mae Hammond. Some of you guys, when I, when I say that name, it may ring a bell to you. But in the mid-70s, I believe it was, probably 74, 75, they came out with a book called Pigs in the Parlor. Some of you guys probably never heard that. Praise God for it. If you've been around for any number of years, you, you have heard of it. But it was a book that dealt with the deliverance ministry. And what it basically was is a, a book on how to, how to recognize certain demonic things and how to pray deliverance. Now, in that book, there was some good stuff. There, there really was. There were some things that were very practical, that were very useful. I had a copy of it myself. But at the same time, there was some stuff that was so out there and so outlandish that it really had no uh, scriptural grounds for it, and it was, it was worthless. But what happened in it is a, 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 a uncle of mine uh, got a, a hold of a copy of that, and, and my dad's on here today. He probably remember this. But an uncle of mine got a hold of a copy of that. And he came over to our house after reading the book. And he began to tell my mother. He said, you need to get rid of all these, uh, many of this, this vast collection of these Avon figurines and these Avon decanters. My, uh, my mother's sister was an Avon lady. So my mother always had the little cars, the glass cars. Many of you ladies know what I'm talking about with the sweet honesty, cologne or perfume in it. All that stuff like that. But he came over and he began to point out stuff. And he said that many Many of those things, because he read in this book that uh, any type of figurine or whatever can invite demon spirits. And so if it had a frog anywhere that looked like a frog, because in the scripture it talks about evil spirits were like frogs. If it had an owl, it was that, uh, it was, uh, that same type of thing. And, but all these different things that, that, that depicted some type of thing. Even if, if something had a, you know, she had some that were like a prince or a princess or something. Well, that thing's uh, going to invite principalities and power. Folks, that's, that was ridiculous. You know what? No demons want to get in there with a bottle of sweet honesty or, or anything. They're not, folks, that's not, what it, that's not what's going to attract the devil. What's going to attract the devil is what's going on. So, but fortunately, my mother didn't go and bust all those things on the ground. And, because if, if there was going to be demonic activity in our house, it wasn't because of a glass figurine. It would be because the people in the house were living immoral lives. And because of our sin and immorality, we had invited those things in. But you see how that happens? And, and so what Paul was wanting to do is drive home the point that there could be, we can get so easily sidetracked by things that really have no significance spiritually. And, 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 t- and what they'll do, they'll cause us to lose our focus. And then what they'll do is they'll draw us away. And it's our losing our focus and, and not the figurine or some little thing, our meat and drink or vegetables or no vegetables or whatever else. And that's what's going to lead us away. It's instead, of, it becomes our preoccupation with something. And so we get our eyes off God and we get them onto things and that is what becomes the sin. Folks, Paul has given a, a, a really a warning not to get so caught up, not to strain the, 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 the gnat and to, to swallow the camel. <coughs> but he's saying what you need to do is to come to a place of faith. And so when we get into that, what it does, it demonstrates a lack of faith. It demonstrates a lack of the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. And what it does, it does it places us un, under this undue emphasis on things that are really trivial. And that is what really makes things unclean. Is when we put, an, uh, uh, put something on them that causes them to be the attraction rather than Christ to be our focus. People do it all the time with, with clothing. You know, uh, you have certain folks that... Pardon? Hair? Hair length? Hair? You know, I don't have any hair, so I can't even fall into that category. But people do with articles of clothing. You know, there's certain sects of Christianity that, you know, right now I would be totally uh, in, in sin because you can see my arms. 
And because I, this, my, my old scarred up arms might cause somebody to lust if they see my skin. Now, if, if you're that big of a pervert and you're that sick because you see my arms, now come on. Anything that's going to get you. But there's people that'll make a big deal about that. You gotta have long sleeves because that's not being modest. That's being immoral uh, or whatever else. There's people that have done it with particular uh, mannerisms. You, you take in the, you go into New York City. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. You'll see uh, these uh, uh, people that are Orthodox Jews. They got the little curly locks and they got the beards and they got the hats. You recognize them. If you don't have that, you're not part of their thing. You'll see that up in the in up north and in, in where uh, uh, Raven uh, uh, Midwest and even probably Raven East Coast. You'll see the Amish and they dress a particular way and they go way overboard. They make righteousness about being in a black buggy versus a black car. Now, as long as you're driving the black car, they'll ride in it. But if, if they're driving it, it's sin. It's, you see how ridiculous those things. People have done it with particular type of activities. You know, you, you can't, uh, back in the old Assemblies of God, he's talking about mixed swimming. You know, if, if there was a woman on a beach, a man couldn't be on the beach or whatever else. And, you know, there's certain things of modesty that need to be, obviously be applied. But, folks, when it gets so sidetracked by these things, what it does, it puts the focus on other things. Uh, modes of worship. You know, uh, and if you're not worshiping the way that I am, if if you know if, if I'm worshiping and I get a little bit crazy, I, I I do get a little bit crazy. I like to worship the Lord. I I mean when I when I worship Him, other times man, I just like to, to shut up and get quiet before the Lord. Uh, modes of prayer. Some people may want to get on their knees and clap their hands, or somebody may want to do this and that. Or uh, and folks, listen, that that's not the point. The point is where's our heart. But what happens is we get so focused on these things. And I, I look at First Samuel chapter. Uh, one, and Deb and I was talking about this the other day. She was just asking about, you know, hey, who's some women in the Bible? And she was really just, what she was looking for is, I want some people to pattern my life after. I want to be able to look in the Word of God and see as a single woman that, that some people, that, that some women of God, and, and I mentioned to her Hannah. And, and, but I told her, I said, look how Hannah was misrepresented. You know, she was there praying because she was barren for child. And, 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 and the, the, the high priest Eli saw her and he thought, oh, she's intoxicated. No, she was just praying different. She, he saw her mouth moving, and she didn't want to be boastful. She didn't want to be loud. She had something very intimate, and so she was ostracized by him for that. You know, obviously she gave birth to, to Samuel, who became a, a great prophet in the land of Israel. And so, folks, he said, There's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So what he's saying is when you begin to, to overemphasize something, what ends up happening is it becomes not unclean to the person doing it. It becomes a sin to you. And so if I continue to make a big deal out of something that's nothing, you know what it becomes? I begin to miss the mark. And so what I wanted to put, heap condemnation and, and judgment upon you, what does it do? It begins to bring it back upon myself. And so what this points out is that while you're trying to make it sin for somebody else, you are indeed the one who's made it sin to yourself by placing all the focus and the attention upon it. We need to be careful in that. Because what ends up happening is we're justified by our own words and we're condemned by our own words. And so the next time you try to hold somebody to a standard and you're not towing the line, so to speak, you know what you've done? You've made it a sin unto yourself. When you're telling somebody you need to come do this and, and, and you need to be a part of what I'm doing, then you don't show up, it's become a sin to you. You've, you've, you've set a snare for yourself with your own words. And you, you've brought condemnation upon yourself. So what do we need to do? We need to be careful in that. We need to begin to measure those things that are important versus those things that are not. Then in verse 15 he says, But if your brother be grieved with your meat... Now walkest you not in love. Destroy not him with meat for whom Christ also died. And here's what he said. If your brother is grieved with your meat, or what, or if, if what you are requiring of a brother places an unnecessarily heavy burden upon him, 
then you're not walking in love. You hear what I'm saying? So if you're saying to a brother that, you know, I want you to do it my way. I want you to do it. But it, it causes uh, it causes him to be burdened down. It causes him to lose the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saying, well, sister, you know what? I, I know you got all them dolls, but those dolls, just, their, their eyes are looking. I think they're opening demon spirits and, and it puts a burden on you. You say, well, my grandmother gave that to me. Well, I don't care if your grandmother gave it to you or not. You know what? If, if you can't... Throw away something, grandmother. You have, you have, you're not fit for the kingdom. People do crazy stuff like that all the time, and I, I use something outlandish. But there's probably examples that you've had to confront in your own life that have been very real. And somebody's putting a burden. You're thinking, well, is, what's really the big deal? It's because they're putting it. They're telling you. They, you're trying to grieve them with your meat, or somebody's trying to grieve you with their their meat. You know, I may like to stay up until the wee hours of the of the night or the morning and study the Word of God. That that may be my style. I, I may like to to pray in the morning. But that doesn't mean that, that my brother who, who likes to sleep a little bit later and pray in the, the afternoon and, 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 and read the Word in the afternoon is, is any less of a believer than I am. You know, David said, early will I seek him. Now, early to David may not be early to somebody else. And so I, I, can't, I can't vex somebody with, with what I'm doing. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, come on, guys, let's get real. Let's, let's get focused on what's important and what's not. And, you know, I, I have, uh, I'll give you another example. Of just those things. Don't, don't let something be grievous because I don't do it and somebody else does. Let's focus. Our brothers in the Lord, you know, we're, us with Raven Ministries, we have people that are involved, leaders from all cultures. My dear brothers in South Florida. Now, these folks are from Cuban descent. They're from uh, Puerto Rican. Every time I run into my brothers and sisters when I'm in Ma Raven, Miami or Raven, South Florida, these guys that are part of that Latin culture, they kiss me. When I'm in New York City, I'm around my friend, Pastor uh, uh, Del Rio and, and his family. They kiss me all the time. I mean, I, I get kissed by these people. They're, they hug you and they kiss you. Now, are they trying... And, and that's the, the men, that's the women. Now, are they trying to do anything sexually to me or anything? Absolutely not. That's a part of the culture. Now, me, I'm, I'm careful about those things. You know, you're, you're not going to see me, watch me, and, and hold me to it. You'll probably not see me just running up and just hugging people indiscriminately. You're not going to see me do it. You'll probably rarely find me, somebody of the opposite sex, putting my hands on them. I keep my distance. Period. Does that mean that I'm a pervert and i got to... Absolutely not. I've just seen too many things that are misinterpreted, so what do I do? I keep myself in check. I keep myself in balance, not to set myself up for those things. And test me on that. Watch me, you guys that are around me. I make a point of that. Does that mean that, that somebody that feels a liberty to do that can't? Absolutely. I'm not going to hold them in that. I just know the standard that I've got to hold myself to based upon what God has spoken to me. Now, if I'm around my Latin brothers and they're hugging and kissing me or my Latin sisters, you know what? I'll hug them back. I'll kiss them back. Because I know for them, that's the acceptable standard. I'm not going to say, oh, hold on just a second, brother. God's going to look at that evil. You're, you're, that's just too weird. Or, Sister, you don't need to be kiss, kissing somebody that's not your spouse or whatever else. Now, are they running up and kissing me a sloppy kiss on the lips? Absolutely not. They peck you on the cheek and the whole nine yards. And so I don't want to give you the, the, the illusion that that's the case. And so, folks, really what it comes down to is we, we've got to focus on those things that are, are the most important. I, I know, I'm persuaded, he said, that, that nothing's unclean to itself, but him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, if you've got a person that, that's always preoccupied and focused on that, 
Yeah, you, you need to keep your distance. You need to watch what you say and what you do, not to set yourself up for a fall. And so, I, like I said, I'll never say to my Latin brother, you, you need to do it the way I do it because that's not it. No, that's their culture. It's okay for them. But I've been in cultures, in churches that I've ministered at, that you, you do something like that, man, they will throw you out the window. So you've got to be uh, occupied with the things that you need to be occupied with and not be occupied with those things that are trivial. trivial. And so we cannot destroy with our meat is what he goes on to say, those who Christ died for. So I can't say, well, listen, this is my standard. This is the way I am. And, and once again, folks, we're not talking about immorality. We're to, when he's talking about those things that are unclean, he's not talking about immorality. He's talking about things that are ceremonial, things that are cultural, things that are traditional. He's saying, you know what? Don't allow those things to, to, to be divisive issues to you. And don't use those things to beat down brothers and sisters. Are there limitations? Yes, there are very much limitations. You know, I, and I had a conversation with a, with a dear brother of mine the other day who is saved, who uh, loves Jesus, who preaches the gospel, but he called me up and wanted to know my opinion on drinking. And he began to, to go into a, a dissertation on, you know what, there's really three schools of thought. He said there's the abstinence camp, he said there's the moderation camp, and there's the prohibitionist camp. Heard all that before. Abstinence means, you know what, it, it may be okay or whatever, but personally I just choose to abstain. I don't want to do it. There's the moderation camp that believes, hey, listen, all things done to moderation. As long as you're not getting drunk or whatever else, you can do it. Then the prohibitionist camp. He said that was really birthed out of the, the, uh, the, the of, of North America and it's in our culture that says it's just evil. And so he said, well, where are you at? I said, I'm a prohibitionist. I don't believe in it whatsoever. You should. Now, I, I believe that. And I believe that, uh, strongly in that because I believe that that's something clearly in the Word of God. So his uh, uh, rebuttal was, well, you know what? Uh, he said, you can look at early Christian history, first, second century, and many of these guys. And he named a handful of them. He said, those men drank. And does what they do, you know, I, I, you know, you may have somebody that loves Jesus and gets angry every once in a while. So I could say, you know what, early Christians got angry, so I can get angry. You know, Peter cut off a guy's ear, so I'm going to go around cutting people's ears off because he set the press. Folks, you can't do that. And so he, he said, you know, early Christians did this or did that, and so it must be acceptable. Well, David had multiple wives. So did Solomon. What Solomon had? 700 wives and 300 concubines? You know, his, and so does that mean it's okay for me? You know, Abraham married his cousin. So is that the acceptable standard? You know, Saul persecuted and killed Christian people, and he didn't ever do time for it. Is that, so should I say that, you know, I can do that and say, well, God, I'm sorry, and I should not expect. So folks, what happened, there's a progression, I believe, of things as it relates to righteousness. And I believe it, that, that we can't say to ourselves, well, just because something wasn't sin then, that it's not sin now. I don't believe we can do that. I'll give you a personal example for me. You know, when I first came to the Lord, Jesus Christ 20-something years ago now, listen, there was things that I was not convicted about in my life, period. I was not. But as my salvation becomes nearer than when I first believed, you know what happens? I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't believe I thought that was okay. You know, I, I can't believe that, that I walked in those type of things. But, but a progression came into my life. Now, here's the thing. If I'm looking at somebody that's 17, 18 years old, and they're not in gross immorality, but they're doing something that, to me, I may cringe and think, boy, that's a little bit over the line. You know what? I'm not going to 
take my meat and beat them over the head. I'm going to allow the same progression of righteousness to come into their life that came into my life. Now, if there is immorality or some type of, of sin, something that is that is d- definitely uh, contrary to the Word of God, absolutely, that, that's not what we're talking about. But things that I think, you know, you'll have people that say, well, don't go to a movie. You'll have some people that say, do go to a movie. Some people that say, it's okay if it's G. Some people say, it's okay if up to PG-13. Now, what are we doing? We're splitting hairs, folks. Whatsoever is not, and we'll get into this, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And that's the 23rd verse of the Romans chapter 14. But see, we've got to focus on those things that are right. And I believe, though, that there is a progression of things. And so when Paul told Timothy, he said, don't just drink water only, but drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, now people say, well, Paul told Timothy to do it. What did he tell him to do it for? His stomach's sake. Are there, 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 there things in, 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 in grape juice, the fruit of the vine, that, that were helpful to him? Absolutely. But you know what? 2,000 years later... There's other things that you don't need. Is there a progression? The, the things that were it contained in the water system then are not prevalent today. And so there's a progression of things that we don't need. But what is it? Matthew 13 tells us, you know, there's things that we, that the prophets of old and, and mighty men, noble men desired to see and hear. They didn't get to hear those things. And so what is, there's an acceleration, I believe, and the standard gets raised higher and higher and higher all the time based upon the, the, the knowledge and the revelation and the nearer that we get to our salvation. So folks, we gotta see those type of things. Where there's no law, there's no sin. And folks, we're not talking about just the Ten Commandments. We're not talking about thou shalt not and thou shalt do this and thou shalt do that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You know what? I got saved. And, and condemnation was broken off my life according to Romans 8.1. It was. And I got an understanding of that. But you know what happened? The condemnation, the guilt, the shame got broken off of my life. And literally, I breathed a sigh of relief. I said, praise God, you're not here to condemn me. But then something came upon me. It was called the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, has, has progressively brought me to, through that sanctification process. And so... Even though I was sanctified then to the level of my knowledge and understanding, as the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus began to get more and more revealed into my life, what did it do? Now, it's, it became a different law. It became a greater uh, requirement. It became a higher standard for me. Why? Because of where I became in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul's saying, listen, if, if your brother's grieved with your meat where you're at, he said... You're, you're not walking in love. What you need to do is don't destroy your brother with meat with whom Christ died. Jesus saw a value upon him. Jesus saw a, a, a worth in him. So what you need to do is take those principles and build him up in his faith. Allow those things to be markers, but don't allow those things to be something that's going to beat your brother on top of the head based upon uh, 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 your traditions or your customs. Whatever. If he's not walking in immorality... Allow God to work those things out. There's people that use certain words in certain parts of the country that because I was raised in the South, that I consider those things profanity. They are. And, I, I can say, and some people would say, well, that's not, that's not profanity. But because of the way I was raised, I think I cringe when I hear certain words. And I'm not talking about your, your run-of-the-mill, uh, cussing like a sailor type stuff, uh, you know, uh, cussing a blue streak. I'm just talking about certain words that to me... I, I kind of get a, a little, but to them, it's just a, a, a word like something I may say is slang that, that somebody else might be considered it. And so I, we got to let God work some of that stuff out. Now, if somebody's dropping the F-bomb or whatever else, that's a cultural expression for many, the word many of you know. That's unacceptable. Why? Because that's widespread and known. But certain little things that are, that are thrown out there, 
Folks, we need to allow Christ to begin to bring that, that, that sanctification into other people's lives just like he did us. But then he says, and here's the reason, verse 16 of Romans 14. He says, let, not the, let then not your good be evil spoken of. What he's saying is this. What you need to do is always consider others, even in regards to things that you or they may have liberty in, so that your good or what you consider okay will not be seen as evil by another. And so it goes both ways. Not just what you see. Here I was, and I, I, I don't know if I've given this example in this class, but I've talked about it before. Pastoring in Texas, pastor, I was a pastor of a church, serving God, wasn't in alcoholism, wasn't smoking, wasn't drinking, wasn't in sexual immorality. I prayed, preached the gospel. But a cousin of mine participated in these, uh, what do they call them, uh, mixed martial arts type of events. And so it was like mixed martial arts, karate, wrestling, all these things combined. They got this ultimate fighting stuff that goes on. Now, it wasn't at that level, but he uh, participated on the local level. And so when he would go, my background in high school, I was a wrestler and Jared was a wrestler in school. So I would go and wrestle with him and work out with him. And so when he would go and compete, he would want me to come. And so I would go and I'd sit in the stands and cheer him on and get a takedown, go, go, go. But one day, one of my associate pastors in the church came to me and he, he said, I need to talk to you. And he said, you know, you've been going and watching you know, your cousin participate. And I said, yeah. And uh, he said, I just don't think that's okay. He said, I just don't think that's a place that I would really want people to say, I saw my pastor there rooting for people in, in the ring, uh, you know, uh, wrestling and fighting one another. And he said, I just don't think that would be a good thing. Now, mind you, this brother had no problem watching boxing. This brother had no problem watching football. None of those things. But see, the, the issue wasn't how he felt about it, about, about what he did. It was how he felt about it. And so, what, do you know what I told him? I said, brother, you know what? You will never hear of me being in one of those places again. Period. I wasn't going to let my liberty be a stumbling block to him. Because he was more important to me and what he felt and how he viewed the testimony and what it would mean to him than whether or not I would get to go and watch a couple guys wrestle around. I never stepped foot in another one ever again after that point. Why? Because it meant something to him. So I was not going to allow my liberty to become a stumbling block for somebody else. And so I didn't want my good to be spoken evil of. I didn't want what was positive in my life to be nullified by the perception that somebody else had. So folks, listen, we, we don't live our lives for ourselves. We live our lives altruistically for other people. And we need to see that. Whether they're weak, whether they're strong, we need to be able to build them up in their faith. And he says in the 17th verse, he said, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not in all those rules and all those regulations and all those things that depend upon, that are derived out of your denominational background or your family upbringing. He said, But they're in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where's the kingdom? It's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What's interesting about when he uses those three terms, the righteousness that he's talking about here is not the imputed righteousness that comes when we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what it is, it's rather it's a right dealing and a concern for our brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is, listen, I'm concerned for you. You're important to me. My, my righteousness is that, you know what, I don't, it's more important for me to be righteous than it is for me to be right. And so what I want to do is I want to deal righteously in your life. And it's my concern is for you, not for me. And so he says, for the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink or in, in the way I think about it or whatever else that, that may not uh, necessarily be thus saith the Lord, but may be the, my, my conviction. But in righteousness and peace, peace is not that peace of God that we've talked about, but rather it's maintaining an atmosphere and a, and a continuity within the body of Christ. Listen, I love you. 
Proverbs seventeen seventeen that the 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 friend loveth at all time, a brother loveth at all time, and a, and a, and a, and a brother is born of adversity. That regardless of what's going on, regardless if if you're not saying it the way I say it, or doing exactly the way I do it, or you don't have the same philosophy, you know what? I can still love you. I have I have I get calls and people all the time from folks that don't agree with everything that I say. Praise God that you don't agree with everything I say because uh, uh, not every time that I say it, it's going to be right. What do we want to do? We want to minimize the, the times. We're, listen, we're off. That's why we got to be open and transparent and correctable before the Lord Jesus Christ. But there can still be an attitude of peace. I'm not going to say, well, I don't like you anymore because you don't agree with what I say. Or I don't love you anymore. Folks, we can't do that. Because I'm not going to agree with everything you say. You're not going to agree with everything I say. But the place that we've got to find common ground is in the cross of Calvary in the Lord Jesus Christ. And be willing to receive from one another. To willing to, to be corrected and be sharpened by one another's life. And so that's what he's talking about with peace. That it's, it's not this thing that we're just going to undo our relationships about. But, we're going, that, but the kingdom of God is being able to walk in that type of love for one another. You know, my children growing up, I had to pull the belt out many times and wear them out. But that mean that you, know, you spanked me, so I'm moving out of the house. No, I can't get rid of my children. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to stay with me. Period. Does that mean I don't have to create? Absolutely not. And so then it was says righteousness, uh, uh, peace, and joy. What joy basically means is it's it's not happy, happy, joy, joy. It means that I'm not going to be moved by my circumstances. That regardless of what I see, listen, there's a constancy inside of me that my outlook is not based upon outward things, but my outlook is based upon inward things. And I have a greater confidence in what God has said more so than what I've seen. And so my confidence in you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. My confidence in, is not whether or not you hold to my traditions. My, my confidence is not whether you just say it or do it the exact same way that I do. My confidence that there is a Christ Jesus working in your life just like there is a Christ Jesus working in my life. There is one that if I pray for you, that if I encourage you, that if I tell you what the Word of God says, that there's a confidence knowing that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God is going to convict you. That I don't have to, like Brother Scott said the other day, I don't have to beat the lamb over the head with a club while he's in the mouth of the wolf. That I can I can nurture and I can teach you and I can raise you up and, and preach truth and righteousness into your life and believe that God's going to do something in your life just like He had to do in my life. And so, if the Holy Spirit is who's going to reveal these things and it's going to come about through the process of Him working in our hearts and lives. And verse 18 says this, For he that in these things serves Christ accepted by God and approved of them. And so, what he's saying is when I walk in these things, what it does, it provides a venue for Christ Jesus to be glorified. When I have that love, when I have that patience, when I have that endurance, when I have that self-denial, what does it do? It creates that venue for the Spirit of God to move. You know, many times, folks, why, the, why God can't move? Because we're in the way. Period. You know, I, I, I fly a lot because I travel a lot in the ministry. And, you know, myself, when I book my planes, I always like to be on an aisle. And I always like to be near the front. Because when it comes time to get off, I want to get off. And, you know, sometimes when I don't get to pick my own flight and they'll put me on like 2022B 20, and I'm sitting in the back in between two people, the whole flight, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, just, I'm like this. Because I like to be able to move my elbows a little bit. I, I like to be able to get up and go down the aisle. But the second you get out, what does it do? I mean, you just have to wait on everybody else. Couldn't you have got your baggage down quicker? Why didn't you check that luggage? Why are you doing that? But, folks, when we walk in, in, in Christ Jesus, we walk in what 
Paul's talking about, well, it opens up the venue. We get right off the plane. We get to flow. But many times, folks, we have carry all of our baggage of traditions and all these rudimentary teachings of men and all of our own denominational philosophies or whatever else, our own experience, our own uh, uh, way of doing things, our own upbringing, that really have nothing at the end of the day to do with Jesus. And so we need to clear that stuff. And, 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 and for if we see these things the way he does and we serve Christ, it becomes the acceptable thing unto God and it's approved unto men. The 19th verse says, it says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things which may edify one another. What Paul said, he said, guys, listen, we need to start minding those things and paying attention to the things that are the most important. We don't need to busy ourselves with all these little contentious things that really at the end of the day aren't going to have any bearing on anything. What we need to do is follow for those things that are going to knit us together. And so what does that mean in the context of what Paul's saying here to the church? And what does that mean to our context? Listen, I need to be able to find something common in your life. Now, let me ask you this. Many times it's easy to point out negative. Everybody, I see it all the time as a, as a leader. Problems are easy to recognize. I get people all the time call me and tell me what the problem is. But I have very few people call me with a solution. I have people all the time, hey, pastor, we need to do this. And I'll say, well, when are you going to do it? Well, I'm not saying I need to do it. I'm saying somebody needs to do it. You see what I'm saying? It's real easy to provide a problem. But, folks, listen, we've got to be, and that's what he's saying right here, we need to follow after those things which bring peace. We need to be a part of the solution that we might edify one another. If you say, hey, listen, man, I have a problem. There's people dying and going to hell. There's people that are going to hungry, uh, going hungry, and so I can't believe nobody's doing it. Well, why don't you go do it? Are you, are, so you're only going to do it and feel motivated if somebody's helping you? You're only going to feel, uh, feed the hungry if somebody's out there with you? What about, what if it's only you? Are, are you going to be any less positive? Are you going to be any less, uh, committed to it? Folks, listen, we need to, well, we need to, we need to start praying. Well, I have been praying. Well, no, but I, I, we, I need, we need to start praying. No, I have been praying. No, what I'm saying is that, uh, you need to make me pray. Folks, listen, you see how we get caught up in, in arguments and stuff like that all the time? What we need to do is follow after those things that make for peace and to build up and edify one another and to strengthen one another and encourage one another in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then what's going to happen? Then we're going to begin to see the, the, the outpouring. We're going to see the holiness. We're going to see the righteousness. We're going to see the sanctification. We're going to see the harvest fields that are going to come in as we begin to focus on those things. And Paul is bringing all that into light. He said, listen, what we need to do, folks, don't get caught up in all these things that have become grievous, these things that are contentious. He said, we need to focus upon those things that are important, those things that are true, those things that are holy, those things that are just, those things that are righteous. And all these other little things, watch God work those things out. Once again, I want to go on record. I'm not talking about immoral things. I'm talking about trivial things that at the end of the day, they carry no weight. Immorality, sin, that stuff's got to be called out because it brings about death. These other things, they don't. They, they may cause somebody to slow down a little bit. They may cause somebody to, go, to, to have to have a few bumps on their spiritual head. But at the end of the day, folks, we need to focus upon those things because the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Folks, listen, we are totally out of time this morning, and, uh, but we'll be back tomorrow for another installment of the, the, the Raven Nation. But really, folks, pray, pray, pray. I've been advising this for so long. Pray, and when you pray, be quiet and listen. 
Because I've, I've been finding out lately, if I be quiet and listen, man, God begins to speak. Get into the Word because we're, it's a time and day where we need to get spiritual discernment like never before. And we need to be able to measure these things against the Word of God. Folks, we're out of time today. Thank you so much for joining us for this installment of the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. We'll be back tomorrow at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you've missed out any of these classes, you can go to our website, www.biggrace.com. Click on the Raven Institute. 170-something hours of this teaching is on there. I encourage you to get into it. And i got one bit of advice for you today like I always do. Get into God's Word. God's Word will get into you.